Thank you, Sharon. Good morning and welcome to all of our guests, visitors, and also those listening on radio. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning at First Church. A couple announcements before we start our service. The flowers on the altar and on the extreme left and right are in honor of Sue Hoagie. Her life was celebrated on Friday, May the 3rd. Sue was 99. Please keep the family in your prayers. This morning, the white rose on the altar is in honor of Grigsby Miller, who will be receiving the sacrament of holy baptism this morning. He is the son of Marshall and Haley Miller. Grandparents are Michelle and Jesse Dillon, and Rex Jr. and Nancy Miller of Finley. The first Mother's Day open house takes place in the nursery and kindergarten Sunday school classrooms today. Parents, grandparents, and friends are invited to attend. Sunday school is immediately following the service this morning. Junior and senior high youth are invited to the start of backyard Bible studies, which will take place at Pastor Tory's house this evening from 6.30 to 8. Bring your Bibles and your lawn chairs. And this afternoon, Sharon Cheney's piano students will give their spring recital at 1 p.m. here in the church sanctuary. It is open to the public. You're all invited back for an afternoon of music. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to take some time to look them over. And now to start our service this morning, those who are able, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship. This morning, and it's taken from Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the law of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please remain standing for our opening hymn this morning, number 349, Trust and Obey.
Amen. You may be seated. This time I want to invite forward Grigsby Marshall Miller and his parents, Marshall and Haley Miller. I'd like to come over on this side. Today we get to celebrate uh, the baptism of Grigsby. Uh, it's an exciting time and it's an exciting opportunity for us to, to come alongside this family and to show them our support and love as a church family. You know, we do this in response to the command that Jesus gave his disciples uh, in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Jesus told them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's in obedience to this command that we baptize believers and their children. We baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we, and we teach them to obey all that Jesus has taught us to do. And that, you know, we do this also in, in, in with the idea that uh, the call that Peter gives us in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, he tells the people gathered there for that first sermon, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Obviously, Grigsby's not quite old enough to uh, make a profession of faith himself or make this sort of commitment himself. So uh, he does get all the attention this morning. But we're here also to come alongside Haley and Marshall and, and hear their faith because it's their commitment to raise him in the Lord that we are celebrating and, and honoring today. They're here to, to offer their son up to so that and commit to raise him in the Lord so that when he is old enough, when he comes of age to make that commitment himself, he is able and willing to do so. And so Haley and Marshall, and having heard God's gracious promises to us in Christ, do you desire that Greg, Grigsby be baptized today? Praise God. And, and so if, as you are committing to raise him in this faith, these following questions are for you as his parents to respond to uh, as an affirmation of the faith that you hold and that you want to pass on to him as he grows. So I, respond, I ask you to respond to the following questions. Do you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life? Do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciples, trusting his promises, obeying his word, and honoring his church, and showing his love as long as you live? And will you devote yourself to the church's teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers? Praise God. Praise God. Let's all, as an affirmation of the faith that we share in, in common, recite the words of the, of the Apostles' Creed. The words are printed in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. And he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, for the gift of life. 
We thank you for this family and for this child being baptized today. You, Lord, are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift. Through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, you've made it possible for us to be accepted into your family. I pray that you would bless and sustain this child. Draw him to yourself, just as Jesus welcomed the children during his ministry. May he grow to love you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. We also pray for his parents that you would equip them to fulfill the promise they make today. Bless and sustain them as they teach their children to know and love you. All of this we pray in the name of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So having heard your profession of faith and, and knowing the commitment that you are making here today, uh, and since you've presented Grigsby for baptism, we ask you to, the following questions before God and his people. Do you promise to instruct Grigsby by word and example with the help of the Christian community and the truth of God's word and the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for him and teach him to pray? And do you promise to nurture him within the body of believers as citizens of Christ's kingdom? We do. Praise God. We're gathered here during the worship service to do this because this isn't a commitment that they are just making in and of themselves. It's a commitment for the whole body of believers, this church, to, to come alongside them and help them and support them in any practical way we can uh, with our prayers, uh, with, our, with our support for them as a family and for Grigsby in particular, and, for, uh, and, and helping them in any practical way we can. You know, we're in this together. God calls us not only into a, a biological family, but into a church family as well. And so, and so I ask you as a church uh, for your love and support for him and, and this family also. Brothers and sisters, as we receive Grigsby into Christ's church, I charge you to nurture and love him, to assist them to be Christ's faithful disciples. With joy and thanksgiving, we now welcome you into Christ's church, for we are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage, and support you, and to help you know and follow Christ. Amen. He is out cold. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he stays that way. Hey, buddy. Grigsby Marshall Miller, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of salvation that is made available through his death and resurrection. And thank you for the symbol of baptism, which reminds us that you wash away our sins and give us new life as we put our trust in you. We pray for Grigsby. Bless and strengthen him daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to him the riches of your love. Deepen his faith. Keep him from the power of evil evil, and enable him to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes. May he grow to know, love, and serve you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we also ask that you look look with kindness on Marshall and Haley. Help them always rejoice in the gift you've given them. and, And... in the presence of your Holy Spirit, that they may bring up Grigsby to know you, love you, and serve you and his neighbor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We have a Bible and a, and a certificate here of baptism for you as well as the white rose to take with you this morning. Congratulations. This time I want to invite you all to take a moment and greet your neighbor as the children come forward for children's chat as well. Can you find a seat? There we go. Awesome. You think there's cookies in here? Yeah. Yeah? Uh, 
can't do that this week. I do have a treat, though. What? What are they? Dog treats. Dog treats. Well, I thought you were hungry. Not that hungry? Oh, uh, all I have to do is go, and my dog runs to her little cage because she knows we're going to go away. Last chance. No takers. Well, why do dogs do things for us when we hold a treat in front of them? Huh? They want to eat it. Are they thinking about sharing it with another of their friend dogs? No. no. So they're being very, very selfish, aren't they? And that's how we train them is, you know, they get a treat and they do things for us. Now, if I said, go to your kennel, Mocha, is she going to go without hearing? No. No, she's not. Now, if I shake the box, she's right over there and she's ready for a treat. Well, you know, we're kind of like that with God. Sometimes we only um, respond to God because we want something. You know, we thank him when things are good and we want a treat or we want, we want something special in our prayers. But have you ever thanked God when things go bad? Kind of hard, isn't it? I didn't have exactly have the best week this week, but I thank God that I didn't bring something more than my foot. It could have been a hip and all kinds of stuff. So I had to be thankful, or I was very thankful, for something bad. Because God's always good. God's always good. He's always there for us. You know, he tested Job. Remember Job? He took everything away from Job. Everything. And Job still praised God. And that's what we come to church on Sundays. And not just the church, but all the time. Praise God and thank God in good times and in bad. No matter how bad things get. Okay? So you think about that. We're not dogs. We're not going to always respond to God like a dog is, are we? No. We're going to love God and thank God for everything all the time. Let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these children and help them to learn that your love is forever and nothing changes it. Help us to be thankful for everything, whether it's good or bad or in bad times, that we can find lovely things to be thankful for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Lost in our service in the last week. In Syria, Private First Class Michael A. Thomason. 28, from Lincoln Park, Michigan. At West Point, Chief Warrant Officer, 3rd Class, Laquat Khan, 51, from Bloomingburg, New York. In Maryland, Private Courtney Shields, 18, from Bryans Road, Maryland. In Georgia, Private Anadeep S. Sandhu, 20, from Kent, Washington.
Let's pray together. Father, we gather here this morning to worship and praise you. And we acknowledge that you are God in all areas and all times of our life. We have, there's been several families in our church and our community that have mourned the loss of loved ones recently. And Lord, we acknowledge that you are the God and you are the, you are God even during those difficult times. You are our source of strength and comfort and help uh, during every time of trouble. Lord, we also got to experience and acknowledge you are the giver of life as well with this baptism this morning. We thank you for the new life that you have given this young family. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of life that that we are reminded of every time a a new one is born. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, bring joy, bring hope, bring strength to this family as well. Lord, you are the God from you are our God from the moment we are conceived to the moment we lay our heads down to rest in you. And we ask, Lord, that you would be sovereign over each and every moment. Bring us to a knowledge of you. Bring us to faith in you and help us to rely on you both in the good times and in the bad. Lord, you are um, you are also God over these these prayer requests that we have represented in our bulletin. Uh, with our our concerns list. Lord, you know what is needed in each one of those moments, and we ask for you to sustain them and to bring them, Lord, uh, healing, comfort, peace, uh, restoration. Lord, whatever is needed, you know, and we, we ask that your will would be done. God, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise this morning. And, and both, Lord, uh, and acknowledge that you are sovereign over, over it all. And we thank you for that and find our hope and, and find confidence, Lord, in that. For whatever we face, we know that you are God. We pray now as Jesus, as you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand and sing with us number 271, Standing on the Promises.
men, you may be seated. This time I invite those forward who are helping with the offering.
please remain standing for the scripture reading this morning. The reading this morning comes from 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. We thank you that we are here this morning to gather around uh, you, Lord, um, your praises, your worship, your prayers, and now your word. And I pray that you would give me words to speak, open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Imagine coming to church on a Sunday morning, right? We, I asked you, asked you to, to think about this last week in terms of music. But imagine coming to church on a Sunday morning and, and uh, there's no scripture read at all. Imagine just what that would be like. You know, we gather, we maybe sing a few songs. I give up, I stand up here and I give you a little bit of a pep talk and then we all go home. But, but God's word not, is not a part of that service. How strange and how maybe even awkward would that be to to come and to gather here as God's people and not hear from God in his word or imagine this as well imagine gathering to worship and 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 hearing someone stand up and and read from God's word but it was in a language that you didn't understand or couldn't comprehend there are a couple times in my life where I've been in a foreign country right and 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 just being immersed in a, in a culture and a language that you don't fully understand is really off-putting. It's really awkward and really hard to, to kind of deal with. I was in, in, in a, as a teenager in Mexico on a mission trip, and I just remember trying to communicate to these kids that we were working with about God and about Jesus with only a very limited vocabulary that I could use. But imagine gathering to worship and, and God's word being read, but being read in a language that we didn't understand. See, that was, that was a reality for God's people for some time. That up until uh, the Reformation, it was common for God's word to be read in Latin. And, and for the average person, that was not a language that they could understand. And we couldn't hear, we couldn't understand verbally, let alone read or write it themselves. And so a key component of the Reformation, uh, and Martin Luther being a leading figure in this, was to, to translate the Bible into a language that people could understand and actually read and, and use for themselves. For Martin Luther, that meant translating the Holy Scriptures into the vernacular German of, of his day and his place. For us, it means that we have Bibles printed in English that we can read and understand for ourselves so, so that God's Word is accessible to everyone and not just to a select few who have the privilege to know and understand the original languages or Latin. See, God's Word is meant to be for all of us. It's meant to be, and it's meant to be a key part of our service, not just to be read, but also to be understood and be applied to our lives. That's why it's so important that Scripture is a central part of what we do here on Sunday mornings. Not just for the sermon, but throughout the service, if you think about it, there's Scripture woven into almost everything we do. For example, our call to worship, right, is, is almost always a, a direct passage from Scripture that either pertains to the, the, the invitation to worship itself, right, calling on the name of the Lord, or, or it is a, a passage that direct, that relates directly to our, our sermon for the day. 
But it's Scripture that begins our service, and it's our response to that reading. Uh, it's our, our worship is a response to that reading each morning. And it's a way for us to focus our hearts and our minds on Christ from the very start of our time together. Last week we talked about all the, the songs that we sing and how music is such an integral part of how we worship. But even the music itself is interwoven with Scripture. So a lot of the songs we sing have direct words from God's Word taken and applied to music. Or, or at the very least, the, the theme or the, the main idea of a passage is then taken and drawn out and applied to song. So even the songs that we sing are meant to point us to God's Word. Even as we sing, we're taught and reminded of what God has to say to us in Scripture. And then there's, of course, the reading of Scripture that we just had before I got up here and started talking, right? Actually hearing God's Word read and proclaimed in its entirety, uh, not just what I have to say about it, right? It's important for us as God's people to gather and hear from Scripture first and me second. Uh, and, and that's why we do it that way. That's why we read Scripture as a part of the service on a regular basis. Again, it's a reminder that, that God's Word is available to all of us and it's, and it's available to, to not just me, but to you here sitting in the sanctuary or listening on the radio. And I love that we have different scripture readers come up here too. Uh, I, I'm so thankful for the people who volunteer and come up here and read on a regular basis because it, because it allows us to hear God's word through different voices, which is important for us too. It's not just me up here reading all the time, right? It's, it's hearing from you as God's people proclaiming God's word to each other. And it's, it's a really wonderful thing. And I can know, I know it can be very nerve wracking standing up here and doing it. So thank you to those who, who read and, 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 just a quick invitation to those who, who have thought about it. It's, it's always good to hear uh, God's Word read in different voices. It displays, I believe, having different people read Scripture displays both the unity and the diversity of our faith. Diversity because God's Word is available and can be read by the young and the old, the rich and the poor. As Scripture puts it, the Jew and the Gentile alike. We all have access to God's Word. And so in a sense, that is a very diverse perspective, right? It's available to all of us, no matter who we are, where we were born. God's word is available to us all. But it also displays the unity of our faith because it's God's word that brings us together. Our faith is centered on God as he's revealed, to him, revealed himself in his word. And so no matter what our background is, no matter what our experience has been, we can all come together and be united under the common uh the common bond we have through God's Word. And then, of course, there's the sermon, which is what we're doing right now. Scripture is an integral part of, of uh, this part of the service, too, because God's people have a history of, of the public reading and interpretation of God's Word. Uh, for as long as God's Word has been available to His people, someone has taken the time to, to stand and not only read the Word, but interpret it and help you understand it and apply it as well. You see pictures of this in Scripture itself in Nehemiah chapter 8 during the, after the exile, during the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. There's a moment of, of, of the Ezra, the priest, standing up and reading God's law. And it says that the Levites, those who worked in the temple, would go amongst the people, amongst the crowd, and help them to understand what was being said to them so they could understand it for themselves. 
What a great model for what sermons are all about, right? You hear scripture read and then someone comes alongside you and helps you to understand it. And that is uh, my prayer for myself and for us is that that is what the sermon accomplishes. Jesus himself does it in Luke chapter 4. He goes into the synagogue and, and takes the scroll, right, and reads from the passage of Isaiah. And, and he reads, uh, reads that section of Scripture and then makes a comment on it, right? Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Even Jesus modeled that for us. And so the goal of the sermon, the goal of preaching itself, is for all of us to, to hear, to understand, and then apply God's Word together. And so in doing that, we need to make sure we get a, a, a large scope of Scripture too. Right, we need to hear from not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well, the whole counsel of God. It's really amazing if you think about it. If you, if you really think about how we got our Bible, uh, it's amazing how God had, had ordained and worked that out to get the product that we have today. We've had different authors, different genre, genres, different settings, all written over the course of some thousand years, right, to bring us what we have today. But there's been one overarching narrative, and that is the story of Christ and the redemption we find in Him. And one source for that information, and that is God inspiring His Word. And that's what our, our passage from Second Timothy reminds us of today. That all Scripture is God-breathed, or as some of our translations say, inspired by God. This is the only instance in the Bible of this term, God-breathed. It's Literally, the words God and breath just kind of sandwiched together to make a word. And it gives us this picture of, of what, uh, where Scripture gets its authority and its, and its power. God had worked through various human authors, their historical settings, even their own personality and individual style in order to bring about the product he intended. That's what, uh, that's what inspiration is really all about. It echoes, in this idea of God's breath, it really echoes the creation story, doesn't it? it, it, it God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. Uh, and, it, and it reminds us, too, of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, right? These, these bones come together, and, and whether you're Adam in the dry earth or these bones in the valley, there was no life in them until God breathed life into them. So God breathed life into, the, into Adam, and, and he became a living being. The valley of dry bones is scattered, but it was the breath of God that came and brought life into their bodies. And in the same way, Scripture is God-breathed. God breathes life into it and inspires it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter reminds us of, what this, uh, of the origin of Scripture. Verse, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, he says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of this grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that uh, have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Even angels long to look at these things. In other words, the message, the gospel itself, isn't of human origins, but it's, it's been given to us by God so that we may know God's plan for salvation. And in Second Peter chapter 1, he says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. 
And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we do not follow clearly, clear, cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to us from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice and came, that came from heaven, and we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we also have this prophetic message as something completely reliable so that you do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through hum- though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, this Bible we have isn't here by accident. It's not a cleverly devised human invention. It's the very words of God given to us so that we may know and understand his will for our lives. So we can know and understand uh, who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So all scripture is inspired by God and, and it includes the Old and New Testaments, right? The Old Testament foreshadows and points to Christ and finds its fulfillment in him. And the New Testament then fulfills and completes the Old Testament. And we can't truly fully understand one without the other. We need both the Old and the New to truly understand what God is doing in this world, specifically through Christ. And all Scripture is inspired, even the hard parts. Right? There are parts of Scripture that are going to make us uncomfortable because it reveals our sinfulness and brokenness. Mark Twain once said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Right? It's, it's, it's God revealing our sinfulness to us. And the reason he does it is so that we may turn to him and, and change our ways. Scripture is not meant to, uh, to beat us down. Right? It's meant to reveal our sinfulness, reveal our brokenness, so that we may find healing and salvation in the gospel. Right, but, but people don't always want to hear, hear that. People don't always want to hear what makes, um, what makes them uncomfortable because it's hard. In fact, the, the very verses that follow our passage for today, 2 Timothy chapter 4 says this. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather, uh, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. See, it's important for us to, to stay focused on the word, even when it makes us uncomfortable, even when it's not easy for us to hear, we need to stay focused on God's word and allow it to have authority over us. Because scripture should also make us rejoice in that it reveals the grace of God found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Scripture helps us to see our sinfulness so that we may see our need of Christ and repent. So all scripture is God breathed and it's meant to transform God's people. 
You see, there's four purposes of Scripture that Paul lists here. It's meant for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. There's really two kind of things going on here. There's teaching and rebuking, which is the positive and negative side of our our knowledge and understanding of who God is. In other words, it has to do with orthodoxy, correct belief about God. Scripture helps us to understand who God is, but also who God is not. And then there's also correcting and training in righteousness, which this has to do with how we then live out our faith, right? It's not just enough to know right things about God, but we also must live them out to the best of our ability. And so correcting and training in righteousness is about, about our orthopraxy, our correct actions, our practice of our faith. It's instructions on proper response to this knowledge. In other words, since this is true, as we read Scripture, and we, we truly believe this to be the inspired Word of God, and we, we read about who He is and what He's done for us, we should then respond accordingly. If Scripture is true, so what should I do? All right, that's the question we need to ask ourselves, and that's what correcting and training and righteousness is about. Scripture, then, is the authoritative and ultimate rule of our faith and practice. We submit ourselves to God's authority. We don't stand in authority over it. God has the final say. If you think about it, that's really what the first temptation in the garden was all about, was, was doubting the reliability of God's word and doubting the truthfulness of God's word. The enemy whispers in Eve's ear, did he really say that? And when she she responds, he, he responds back by saying, well, you certainly won't die. Right? He doubts the, the reliability, did God really say? And he doubts the truthfulness, you certainly won't die, doubting that God's word is true. But instead, and, and so we, we need to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word because it is true, it is reliable. And so to, to truly live it out, we need to submit ourselves to its authority. The third thing this passage teaches us is that Scripture equips us for living out our faith. Second Timothy 3.17 tells us the reason why God gives us His Word, and it's so that the, the servant of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, what God teaches us in His Word is not meant to just stay here in this room. It's not meant to be kept private in, the, in our minds or in our hearts. It's meant to be put into practice so that we can live for God each and every day. We're thoroughly equipped. He's, he's provided all that we need through His Word to know Him and to respond to His grace. And so He equips us so that we are up to the task of living for Him. Right? His Word is the primary source for our sanctification. It's, it's what He's given us so that we may know what it means to live for Him. And it says we've been thoroughly equipped then for every good work. It's the same phrase that's used in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, when it says that we are God's Handiwork. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. That good work that he's prepared for us, he also equips us to accomplish through his word. See, faith is about, not, is about hearing, it's about, it's about listening, but also doing. Faith is about putting our belief into practice. That's what James teaches us in chapter 2 of his letter. Faith without works is dead. And Paul here reminds Timothy of that, that, we, that, that Scripture is meant to equip us so that we may serve God and do good works in this world. You see, we're, we're both the church that has been gathered and we're the church that is then scattered. We gather here on Sunday mornings to worship and praise God, right? 
We gather here to sing his praises and to hear from his word. And, and as we do so, we are then equipped to do every good work. His word, his word teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us in righteousness so that we may go from this place and live for him each and every day. We don't cease to be the church when we walk out of these doors. No, we are the church that's on mission when we leave this place. When we walk out these doors, we are entering the mission field. And what we do here then is meant to equip us for how we live our lives out there. That's why we make Scripture such a central part of our service. That's why we make the time where we reflect on God's Word and hear from God's Word such a big part of the service because it's meant to equip us to go from this place and serve His kingdom in our lives, whether that's our workplace, whether that's our family, the New Knoxville community or other communities that you may live in. So how do we do this? How do we take what we, what we, taught, what we do on a Sunday morning and apply it to our lives. Well, first we need to have a thoughtful anticipation to hear from God's word as we gather together as God's people. It means being prayerful and reflective and being open to God speaking to us through his word as part of the worship service. It means that we need to be active listeners. Right? I think it's a it's a wonderful thing for you to to bring your Bible with you to church, right? So you can follow along, so you can fact check me as I'm going through the passage, right? Don't just take my word for it. Follow along in your Bible so that you can see and hear God's word for yourself too. And I even give you permission to write in it, right? You can underline, you can highlight, you can take notes. Those are all good things to help you remember what God is saying to you through the service, through the sermon. And then take it home. Scripture is not just for Sundays. It, it needs to be, we need to be in God's word on a regular basis. And so I encourage you to do that. Don't just, don't just hear from God's Word for one hour a week. Hear from Him every day. Find a reading plan that you can, you can follow along. There's the, the Bible app, which is so popular that you can carry that right with you on your phones. Or there's, we have copies of our daily bread, which have daily readings and even reading through the Bible plan for a whole year, freely available here at the church. Those are all great resources to get you in the Word on a regular basis. And finally, Another way to take it home is to discuss God's Word with family and friends. Get, get connected to a Bible study. Get plugged in somewhere where you can be with God's people and discussing His Word on a regular basis. Talk about it with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, right? Talk about what God is, is teaching you in your Word so that you can grow together in the faith. As we make God's Word a central part of what we do here on Sunday mornings, then it we should also make it a part of our regular lives as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it does teach us about your salvation. It reveals to us that we are all sinners in need of a Savior and that you, Jesus, are that Savior we need. Thank you for the good gift that you've given us and help us to the Lord not take it for granted, but reflect on the wonderful words of life you've given us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing, let's sing number 270, Wonderful Words of Life.
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.